I'm John Stevens. This is Pod Have Mercy. Russell. This is Pod Have Mercy. Well, um, Will, I really appreciate you coming back and being with us on this podcast, Pod Have Mercy. Um, you've you've got a, a book out that I want to do some talking about, but I, I think I, I called you and told you that I'm not in a good place and I may need to vent a little bit, um, <laughs> but I think it's in keeping with with your book, honestly, uh, in in the sense that um, I the church that I served before I moved to Houston, hmm. um, I got an email. I get their emails from time to time, and I got an email today that said, um, you know, the reasons why their church council believes they should disaffiliate. And so it's just put me in a bad spot because I love the place, I love the church, yeah. I love the people. I know, it's hard. And you do talk about, you know, in your, in your book, um, it, was, it was really good. It's, it's called mm. Don't Look Back, Methodist Hope for What Comes Next. Mm. And one of the things you talk about is grief doing grief work in that thing. And I think yeah. that's what I'm feeling today, man. And uh, I think to s- start out, I mean, mm. well, you, you say a lot of good stuff about dealing with grief and all this. There's a lot of grief going on, I think, all over the place with what's going on in the United Methodist Church. What are your thoughts just on doing grief work in this season? Well, you know, in the book, I, I talk about one thing that Methodist pastors are good at, even the sorriest of us, is we we know how to do grief. <laughs> we know how to help people dealing with grief. We also learn very early in the ministry that grieving people can be a pain. <laughs> uh, we're not at our best when we're grieving. And uh, therefore, uh, I urge pastors utilize what you know how to do, which is to help manage and minister to uh, grief. Uh, I think one of the, it's part of the nature of grieving that denial is often a problem. For instance, I had a conversation with a bishop uh, just uh, a few days ago in which I was lamenting our situation and this bishop said, uh, you know, I think we're going to be better after this is over. I think we'll, we'll be a more vital church once the separation comes and those who feel led to leave, leave. And I said to the bishop in a gracious, kind way, uh, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. You know, come on. Right. Uh, that's called denial. No, yeah. no, we're going to be weaker. And... Uh, Also, by the way, while you're being so gracious and all, how about being gracious to the Methodist that I'm hearing from that feel cast out of their church Mm. by simply wanting to stay United Methodist? And um, so uh, just to say that, as as you know, kind of one helpful thing about grieving is is to be able to say, "I'm, I'm in grief. I'm sad about this. Mm. This is a, a loss. This is a tragedy, and, yeah. and I'm sad. However, I also say in the book, when you're a Methodist preacher helping people through grief, one thing you really want to do is to help them through their grief. You don't want to leave them mm. there. And I've had Methodists say, I just think we need to just spend some time grieving, and I think we need to give people space to lament the loss 
And I say, yeah, fine. And then move on. Let, let's, let's, let's get beyond simple grieving to deal with things like anger, uh, to deal with things about accepting responsibility, uh, and all the things you got to do to get out of grief. And I, in the book, I quote Thomas Lynch, Thomas Long, without giving either of them credit to say that the, the purpose of our rituals of grieving is, is to get the dead to where they need to be. Mm. And then sometimes harder <laughs> to get the living to where they need to be. Yeah. yeah. And so our church has got to find mm. a way to be honest about the grief and the loss, but also get on to say, now what? That's good. Now what does God want for us? So. Yeah, you have a great analogy or, uh, that you heard from, I think it was a pastor or someone in Texas about, you know, the cotton farmer who's plowing the rows. Yes. And if you look back, you're going to have wobbly rows. I learned in South Georgia, you keep an eye on a pine yeah. tree, right? At the end of the thing, you got to keep looking ahead. And I've always found that when people say, why me? They're looking back. But when they say what next, yeah. they're looking ahead. Mm. Yeah. I've... I've noticed in these discussions too, people advocating leaving, they they always do so by um, reference to history. Um, once there was a drag queen uh, somewhere. Uh, once there was a who was a lesbian somewhere that back back in time. Well, uh, I was discussing this with a young Methodist pastor and said, you know, half of the stuff that's being cited as reason for leaving happened when I was 12 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm preparing for ministry. You know, well, I'm, I'm just saying, I, I would say too, uh, that don't look back means not allowing our history to determine where we are right now. And the you know and one one thing too i think those of us who are staying umc uh keeping our ordination vows and keeping our membership vows uh we, we need to be reminded that we can't look back to the church we once had because the church we once had wasn't all that great to start with had some serious problems and therefore yeah. To get to our to get through our grief to a point of saying, how can this time of loss also be a time of opportunity? Because some of the things that we're losing are things that we probably should have let go of a long time ago. I, th I think, for instance, we're losing General Conference as a significant way of doing business in the church. We're losing General Conference as something that we can every four years pay $15 million to have uh, a meeting. Uh, okay, well, that that could be a gift of God yeah. to say, that's over. Now, now, how then should we live? How then should we do our business? So, so one of the things, and Matt, you jump in when you will, but I've got like a lot of Come stuff. I, I read your book this weekend and a lot of stuff to talk about. What I thought we'd start out first is really some of the stuff that just, 
And I guess it's why I'm in a bad place and I need your pastoral care and your light touch and your empathy, which I, you're I've so well you, known for. Way, I'm the last I'm the last person to go to if you're in a bad place and need care getting out of it. I remember well, I'm coming I I'm coming anyway. Student. Yeah. <laughs> I'm coming anyway because I, I you walked, uh, I stopped a Duke student walked across campus and he was unshaven and he looked bad and I said, "You look bad. Are you drinking too much on the weekends? What are you doing?" And he said, "No, I've had a bad time. My girlfriend dumped me and um and um you know, I've just I've had some issues with depression." And I said, "Well, I'm kind of hurt. You and I are friends. You, come on. I, I I got some time this afternoon. You can come by my office and and let's talk about it because uh, I'd, I'd like to be helpful. And he said, I said I was depressed. I don't want to be suicidal. And I've I've been the victim of your pastoral care before. And no, I'm not coming by your office. So I'm just warning you, I, I, listen, John. That's so, fine. You can warn me all you want, but still, I you can speak a word into this. <laughs> Jeff, we're still doing good on all the numbers and everything. I, I think you can uh, do some good because you do talk a lot about some of the things around the split mm -hmm. or, or the splintering, as I like to call it, um, that's going on here. So let me just share with you at my church, Wesley United Methodist Church at Frederica on St. Simon's Island, Georgia. One of the m biggest blessings of my life was being able to serve there. I think I think you may have come when we had the the memorial services there back in the day. It's a beautiful, yes. beautiful, beautiful church, yeah. beautiful setting. Um, and so they 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 send out. They said, okay, here's our reasons uh, for recommending disaffiliation. First is the growing disregard for the authority of Scripture and the primacy of Jesus Christ. We no longer believe in the tenets of our faith put forth in the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> We see scriptures as a document subject to our current cultural scientific beliefs, blah, 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 blah. I, that makes me like boil inside. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. And I think you should. Uh, it, that's maddening to hear Christians talk like that to fellow Christians. Uh, I, uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, it's come to that. Uh, all of those statements are false, uh, at least in regard to me. And you know, it's just it's I it it seems so utterly unmethodist yeah. <laughs> to look at a fellow Methodist Christian and say you're forsaking Jesus Christ. You're an apostate. You don't love the Bible as much as I love it. Uh, I think all of us are engaged in trying to love Jesus Christ as best we can. And, but we live in a cultural time in which some people find it uh, just by saying things, it's real, you know, <laughs> uh, just by saying there's widespread election fraud, it's a real problem. Well, it doesn't have. It, it's amazing that you can say, I'm sorry, there's no evidence for that. That statement is not true. Uh, and yet there are people being elected saying that statement. Yeah. So yeah. we seem to be in a time where people have this need to believe certain things. And, and just to say that, I'm sorry, that's not a faithful representation of the United Methodist Church. Or as someone has said to those disaffiliating, and by the way, disaffiliating 
is the wrong word. <laughs> None of you promised to affiliate with the Methodist Church when you joined it. <laughs> Nobody has ever done that. Breaking covenant. <laughs> you you promised to be loyal to the United Methodist Church in your time and your gifts and your service and your witness. Uh, disaffiliation uh, affiliation was never what we wanted out of you. <laughs> it, it's called membership you know so i love that euphemism for disaffiliation uh it, it, you know another word for that is called infidelity uh but uh when when people have have said you know they've talked about dividing leaving I've said, I want you to know that everything the Methodist Church taught you to believe about Jesus Christ, about Scripture, all of that is true. We really meant that. You look in the book of discipline. I, I defy anybody to look at the beliefs in the global Methodist Church proposed book of discipline. It it's just it's the United Methodist book. It's exactly in our the same. That was one of the other things that they listed on here is that uh, one of the reasons they want to disaffiliate is the rejection of the sanctity of the preborn life. I, I don't know that whoever was this committee. Uh, I don't. I mean, I know the yeah. people there. I don't know who's yeah. on the committee. Apparently, they didn't read the United Methodist Book of Discipline statement yeah. on abortion, and yeah. they probably didn't read the one on the Global and, and Methodist because they're the same. <laughs> yeah, they're the they're same. The same. Fact, Neither one of them uh, promotes I'm, abortion. I, you know, I, and in fact, one of my criticisms uh, of the Global. Methodist book draft book of discipline is uh, their statement on abortion to me seems just about as weasley as the United Methodist statement on abortion. I mean, if, <laughs> if I were truly felt that abortion was a horrible sin, uh, if I thought that, I, I would reject the global United Methodist book of discipline statement on abortion. It makes abortion a a, a private decision a private choice that uh a, a, a matter of choice yeah. which i'd say come on i i thought y'all i thought abortion was not a good thing it, it, you know it was so uh yeah I and that's what the united too, methodist uh, says you know abortion is yeah. not a means of birth control we yeah. do not want Abs that's not yes. something we want to see but the reality yeah. is we're in a yeah. broken world and sometimes yeah. it happens and how are you in ministry i know um there have been these moments where people mm. they they had a gathering of uh people uh chosen because they seem to be friendly to the united uh, to the global methodist church uh moves uh, they had a gathering to, to read papers to each other about Methodist doctrine and discipline. And a, a friend of mine, who I think has sympathies toward the Global Methodist Church, uh, read through that and he said, anybody reading these speeches would wonder, why are you guys leaving? Everything you say seems just what United Methodists have always said. What What is the problem here? Yep. And uh, I, I defy most people to read the proposed draft book of discipline of the global methodist church that and read it and say now can you say from reading this now why is it that they say we can no longer in good conscience stay with the united methodist church it, so 
Uh, well, the other thing that that's, is, that's, that's, thing that's interesting to me is, you know, the big issue is like, you don't follow the rules. You don't follow the rules. You don't follow the rules. They have a transitional yeah. book of doctrines and disciplines and they have deacons and elders. They're just throwing out elder cards everywhere. In Texas, it's like you can have no education and no master's degree and not been interviewed by any committee oh, really? and you're an elder. They're well, just, they're just, you're an elder. Wow. That's Baptist. Yeah. Mm. It is. It's weird that they're not even the, following the their own book. Uh, yeah, as as uh, some have pointed out, the global Methodist Church uh, is creating the strongest, most unilateral bishops in the history of Methodism, who can say to you, "You're out. Uh, to heck with due process. Uh, you're gone." And yet. Uh, and, and of course, the assumption is we're going to we're going to elect very different kind of bishops. Um, our bishops are going to be strict, and they are going to kick people out if they're wrong on this issue that is our most important issue and all. Well, I just I no. Unfortunately, you're going to elect what it's people. About. <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe none of this is true because it's yeah. really not about that. Maybe there's it's a I, I almost see it as a, as a, a point of pride that you go far so far down a road that you can't pull it you can't say maybe how do I course correct I don't know how do I pull yeah. this back because it's not yeah. about scripture it's not about abortion it's not about LGBT well, the other about? thing is like they talk about you know one of the reasons yeah. is the lack of accountability of some bishops of some bishops it's a very small bit and and I try to tell people yes there are bishops who do not uphold the Book of Discipline on the marriage and ordination of LGBTQ folks because yeah. they see it as a justice, an unjust law, right? So I don't, I don't necessarily have to agree with their right. interpretation, and I don't have to agree that they're not upholding it. But to say that they don't uphold the discipline, there's a bishop in California that was suspended on charges or complaints that had nothing to do with human sexuality, and they followed the book of discipline. All you got to do is look at the Judicial Council docket every time it comes out, and all the crap you bishops yeah. send to them on rulings on, it's mm. like as long as your arm. I mean, to say that they don't yeah. care about the book of discipline, it's, it's uh, about this one issue. And that yes. then leads yeah. to what it is you are leaving about. 2553, if you're leaving on that, it says because we don't agree with a different interpretation on human sexuality. Okay? Yeah. Fine. I'm yeah. a traditionalist. I don't necessarily agree. But unity is a high value for me. And so I know that we have interpreted the, the Bible differently on divorce and remarriage, women in ministry. There are still yeah. folks in South Georgia churches that don't believe women should be preachers, and they're United Methodist. But we have that as yeah. our rule. So yeah. I'm just saying it doesn't, yeah. because we have a, a, a theology statement or we remove language yeah. that allows contextual, like churches in California to do a same-sex wedding, you might decide not to. And because you're a traditional yeah. church, sure. All right, but you're saying no, yeah. I can't, and I don't believe that anyone who comes in this church who's gay—they're all welcome, and they can come and join, and they can give their money and everything. But their marriage is an abomination; it's incompatible, and like, that, so that's the statement you're making. And I, I just think I, you have to be I clear on that. That's what it's about. Yeah. I think we're demonstrating thereby that Paul was right when he says the law kills. The Spirit gives life. Mm -hmm. We have, I 
I agree that we have painted ourselves into a legalistic corner. Uh, we've got a book of discipline that is very difficult to reform and revise. Uh, we've got a situation where we tried to be church by having general conference vote on things and then force everybody to do what general conference voted on uh, part of the anger among the traditionalists i know is that they again quote won the vote at general conference then immediately found out the church said we we're not going to follow that vote we <laughs> we don't honor that vote that vote was wrong uh and i watched Virginia, South Carolina, Florida, uh, Georgia. I watched them toss out all the delegates to General Conference that voted the way they voted at General Conference and get in other delegations uh, well, it, that, that will vote differently. I, I say to the church, let's, let's try not to solve these yeah. conflicts with By voting. voting. Yeah. And voting that comes out with more rules to force other people to do things I know a bishop who uh, faithfully brought charges against a Methodist preacher for performing a same-sex union, and he said, I got the next week a uh, petition from 300 of our elders in our conference saying, if you pursue this, we will leave, we will resign, we will fight this. And he said, what, what do you do there? You, you know, mm. it requires, you got to have more than rules. You got to have people who uh, acknowledge the rules, who believe in the So I, I think we're showing what's wrong trying to do church with rules. Uh, yeah, uh, that's really uh, right. Uh, another example is uh, up through the 1950s, uh, ordination was something done in the, the annual conference. It basically, the annual conference vetted, prepared, examined, supported people in ordination. You joined the annual conference. Well, by the beginning of the 1950s, general conference started intruding into the annual conference rules for clergy ordination. Well, the rest is history. Uh, all of this would be so much easier worked out in the annual conference. Uh, Unfortunately, we've way too much given to general conference prerogatives that belong to the annual conference. And I think we're showing the limits of our legalism and our rules. And sadly, so we argue about rules and we got to have bishops that enforce the rules and we got to have rules that, you know, rather than saying we need to be church, <laughs> we need to be part of the mission of Jesus Christ. And sadly, when the discipline gets in the way of our evangelism and mission, I think people rightly say evangelism and mission is more important than whatever rules got passed at general conference. And well, so this this last one, well, there there there's others, but the other one you talk about in your book, and I, I wonder how you resonate with this wording. One of the reasons why they they feel they should disaffiliate is the real value of owning our own building and our own property. Well, it's so unmethodist. What what I so love American. is <laughs> that yeah, it's so American, yeah. And so not the kingdom of God. Uh 
What I love is when so-called traditionalists say, well, I'm sorry. I, I, I just believe in the authority of Scripture, and I'm, I believe I love the Bible more than you do, and I obey the Bible more than you do. And I say, okay, show me where in the Bible it says that the most important thing you got going in your church is your building. Now, if, if you feel you, you got to follow your conscience, if you feel you, you got to affirm what you want to do. But I notice you say you're not going to do any of that unless you can take the building with you and the folding metal chairs and the hymnals and the tables. And the pension. It's a you nice know, building. That, that is your supreme. That is your supreme concern. And you're going to sue us if we say you can't take the tables and the chairs and all. Show me where in Scripture that's said. So it it is so it is such a sad misunderstanding. And part of my pain as a bishop, mm. uh, retired, is you know I wonder what did I do to help people get this confused about the church and the faith? What was anything I could have done? to help people see that uh, this authority of Scripture business, Methodists have never talked like that. Uh, this thing about, by God, it's our church. We, we can have it. You know, that, 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 that wasn't us. I think we've been corrupted uh, by neo-Calvinism, by confusing the kingdom of God with the USA, uh, by confusing certain political allegiances as you know, all that together. But I got to ask myself, I wonder, was there anything I did that led people to such uh, confusion? Uh, but, well. No, I hear you. Well, I wanted, I, you know, I, I, I can feel, I can feel your pain. No, I know. And I appreciate you, you know, cause you, your pastoral care, you got that, 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 that such that sensitive touch. I knew that right you'd be the one Will that I could share my, yes. my grief with. Let me ask you a couple of just real quick questions. And then we're going to move on <laughs> to a second section of this. Um, the problem is the denomination. And so to solve the problem, we're going to form a new denomination. Um, you, you talk about in your book give, that give me, denomination has had its day. Uh, and even for us, yeah. United Methodists, we have to mm -hmm. accept the declines of denominational life in America. Yeah. I think all, and I, I haven't been able to find many people to challenge me on this, but all indicators are that denominationalism as a way of organizing the church is over. It's <laughs> about 200 years old. It's been a good run, but this that statement holds true if you're a Presbyterian, Southern yeah. Baptist, whatever. Uh, they're taking the denominational label off the sign out front and all. That causes me grief because the denomination has been good to me, and I have worked it to my personal advantage. But, um, but so your one big idea for what's wrong with your congregation is we need to start a new denomination. Come on give me a break but but i would also say to my fellow united methodist um that i don't think there's much future to be had in trying to prop up a, an aging denomination either mm -hmm. yeah. uh, uh i just think the days of the board of global ministries the days of the 
the big office here uh, right. in Nashville, uh, giving yeah. us uh, the days of the publishing house, having a huge building in Nashville. Uh, that's over. Yes. Well, I think also over is the way that that somehow we can have a top-down administration of church. Uh, I think the Holy Spirit comes from the top down and always works from the bottom up, namely your congregation. And so the book is a plea to stop being so distracted uh, by the denomination and any of its agonies or mistakes. Uh, and, and think about your local church. I, I think we yeah. need a rebirth, here's a non-Methodist word, of congregationalism in the sense of take responsibility for the mission Jesus Christ is giving you in your neighborhood Come on. as his Come body on. and stop worrying about general conference, which you will probably never be elected as a delegate to anyway. Uh, fine. Uh, I say if the older folks need something to do every four years, get them on a bus to go view the leaves changing in Asheville. Don't send them to Minnesota to two weeks of of a meeting. Come on, that's irrelevant. Uh, and there's nothing that can happen at the denominational level that can give your church a future or wow. preserve your church right. uh, from uh from dying if it doesn't get hold of itself and its mission so amen you know i i, I guess other denominations have distractions uh for united methodists our grand distraction tends to be uh the denomination meetings mm -hmm. they i I know people who've been waiting to get in gear in ministry for 30 years. They're waiting on a really good bishop to get things going. God has never sent them a good bishop in 30 years, but they're, they're, they're waiting. If, if, if my district superintendent just had better sense, we, we could succeed here. Get over that. And I, mm. I tell the story in the book of visiting a little church average attendance about 30. i look out the congregation is about my age judging from their appearance uh, afterwards i meet with the leadership as i often do and i said to them what is your biggest challenge in your congregation at this moment and the leader and a woman about my age said uh, our biggest challenge is the methodist church and i said really in what way and then she said after they uh after they ordained that that lesbian bishop out west somewhere it just made it a lot harder for us to be methodist and i didn't say this because i'm such a nice sensitive person but i thought give me a break you're lady i've seen your congregation you're not even going to be here about six or eight years from now uh, you'll be gone and you're telling me the key to your future is somebody out west somewhere that is unbearably sad it's keeping them from doing happened. real ministry <laughs> yeah it, it's also unbearably sad for some aging congregation and most of our congregations are aging uh because we've abandoned two or three generations 
for that congregation to say uh, the key to our future is getting out of one aging mainline denomination and starting a new aging mainline denomination that's our future <laughs> well that's oh yeah have I'm you sorry. seen the, have you seen the the age demographics of the folks that are leaving and starting this new it's actually i think it's helpful for the united methodist church i think it's going to bring our median age down actually at like 60 <laughs> really? years old <laughs> that is fascinating I, I look at the board of directors or the ruling council or whatever they are of the global methodist church and they look about the same age as the council of bishops of the methodist church mm -hmm. the united methodist church now, the, we're leaving you know and uh and, and maybe Maybe it's easier for us to choose upsides and have a debate about human sexuality than it is to have a debate about what could we do to be a church that would welcome our children yes. and our grandchildren. That debate is the debate we're not having because we're so busy having these other debates. Uh, show me, if, if you're big on the authority of Scripture, Show me anywhere in Scripture it says that the kingdom of God is limited to people over 60 years of age. And yet that's the impression you get from many of our congregations, that somehow Jesus has decided to abandon anybody under 60. Yeah. Well, that's, I'm sorry, that's, un, that's unbiblical. Yeah. Our conversation with Will, you know, God bless. Um, you know, I, I, I think I just need to just process and say, you know, I, 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 I get this email mm -hmm. from this church that I serve, a place I love, love the people, love the church. Mm. Um, man, so many good things happen in there. Yeah. You I've really been shaped. gone. Yeah. I've been gone now. I, yeah. I left in 2014. So it's been a while, yeah. you know, things change. I get it. A lot of the denominational angst that's cropped up since then. But man, I tell you, just when I look at the, the church sending out an email saying, okay, here's it, it, a couple of things. Having swum in these waters, like swam, swam, swim, mm -hmm. swim in me. these waters yeah. deep. Yeah. I mean, like involved nationally, internationally, deep in the conversations, right. at the negotiation tables. Um, I, I look at this, and I think the thing that's most disappointing is it doesn't reflect any nuance. It doesn't reflect any balance. Hmm. I mean, and that's the thing we've, we've seen this happen in all the churches that are voting. Yeah. Yeah. You have a few churches that vote and get that 85, 95, 90%. It's not a lot. No. They got their small, like 40 people or the votes eight to nothing. Once you start getting up to pretty healthy sized congregations, especially we're seeing now in our conference, the, the closer we get to that deadline, they've waited and pushed all these votes to the end of the date. Yeah. These votes are coming in. 52 like there's a, a church that voted 89 to 81 people total people yeah yeah i mean it's just the vote was 89 to no, 81 nobody wins and the next day massive membership withdrawals yeah. massive requests to transfer their membership yeah. because the heading down this road what you've done is you have said the church leadership this church council has said we want out here are the reasons which the reasons are are in my ex fine if you want to believe those as your reasons show a counter right, right. 
Show, show sure. that there, there's another side to the story out there. That's right. Because some people in the church, this is the only thing they're going to get and the only thing they're going to listen to, only going to think they're going to believe. And that saddens me. Yeah. And so when I look at it, it's like, am I mad at people? I'm not mad. No anger. I'm brokenhearted. Yeah. I'm brokenhearted because when you live in a community of faith, a church, you know, this is your family. This is not a winning and losing proposition. Right. And maybe someday, you, maybe you get to the place. I don't understand why the rush and the push, why can't you go through a season, you know, a year of prayer and fasting and discernment Amen. to get somewhere. Amen. You know what I mean? Right. For a decision like this. Right. People treat it like, oh, we're just going, just on a property. Oh, we're just going away. Oh, so, well, like, like, you know, the, the bishop who started this church, the conference of the South Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church planted this church and Bishop Frank Robertson, who was a retired bishop, went and started this church mm. on the island. I don't know what he'd think about all these things today, but I can tell you that the vast majority of bishops tend to, uh, you know, be very supportive of the denomination leadership there. Mm. I do remember he tried to shut down the liquor store down on the corner, and there were members <laughs> of the church that were on that liquor store. It didn't get off to a good start. But, I mean, there's just stories in that. It's just, it's, it's just the most wonderful and beautiful community with the most wonderful and beautiful people. And this just saddens me. Yeah. It, just, it just breaks my heart. And um, anyway, so I was grieving today getting that. And honestly, I've not, uh, I, I wasn't invited to come back and speak and share. I haven't reached out to anyone. Uh, if someone calls me and says, hey, whatever, or if someone emails me and what do you think, I send them a note one-on-one. I haven't overstepped my bounds, right, you right. know. Um, uh, but just today when that happened, I'm like, you sent me this email. <laughs> yeah. If you didn't want, if you didn't want me to talk about this today on this podcast, you probably should have taken me off your email list. I mean, uh, I got it in my inbox and right. I can't help it. I mean, I'm human right. and that place is family. All yeah. those people are family. Yeah. Yeah. And that community is family, man. Just, um, I, I keep getting, I still get asked to this day. <laughs> He said, where'd you move you from? I moved from St. Simons Island, Georgia. I said, you know, Sea Island, St. Simons, Brunswick, Gold Mike. And everybody goes, why in the hell did you move to Houston? Why? And there are a lot of days when I've said, I have no idea. And I wish I were back. But um, Because you were called. And because you've been faithful, John. And because um, you understand and see a thing that the church can be. um, And it's calling us forward. That's why. The only thing I would say to my church back there is... I, you know what? Honestly, wherever the vote goes, that's not my biggest. That's not that's not my biggest frustration. Mm. If they go join the GMC or if they become UMC, pe- people don't understand my my motivation. Yeah, to do it this way. That to do it this way with this kind of language, without the nuance, without showing your work to put this in here about abortion and and to know the statements of both churches and align them and see them that they're basically the same same. and that the United Methodist Church has a high value of Of the unborn of life and does not promote abortion as birth control. And then you put this in there, like all of a sudden the UMC is like all just whatever. And uh, we blatantly explicitly denounce late term abortions. I mean, you look at the policy, it's the same as the GMC. GMC is actually more about free personal choice. I mean, so this just, it's just, you didn't do your work, yeah. you know, and you didn't invite, 
you didn't invite and state it in a way that shows we wrestled with yeah, this yeah. and we have some differences, yeah. but here's where we landed. Well, and I think because we've been so formed by another culture, not by the kingdom, when it comes down to it, we use the, the culture that we have been most formed in to wage the battle. Yeah. Right. Not the kingdom that says there is, let me show you a more excellent way, Paul says. Yeah. And so we have uh, moved away from that. Yeah. And they're going to vote in a week or two. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't, wherever they vote, I'm going to love them. Sure. However they vote, wherever they go, I'm going to love that church. Absolutely. And wherever they vote, wherever they go, I hope someday they'll invite me back. Yeah. You know, because to me, my love for them, way bigger than all this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, so anyway. I just thought, I'd, I, you know, I, I came in here a little just raw today. Mm. And so talking with Will about that, you know, he he's right. He's not the best pastoral care person to talk to about. No, that. he's he not. He doesn't make you feel better. No, no, he's, he's not going to put on sackcloth and ashes with you for too long. Anyway, I love you, Georgia. Love you, Texas. I love you, Houston. And I'm John Stevens. And I'm Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. Mm-hmm.